Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Haroni. Today is the first day of the Hebrew month of Adar Aleph, the first month of Adar in the two months of Adar we have this year, February 2nd, 2022, and this is news from the Torah. This week we will be reading the Parsha, the Torah portion of Truma, that talks about the donations and contributions that the Jewish people made to the tabernacle in the desert. And this week also starts the joyous time of utter, the time that we're happy and that we celebrate leading up to the holiday of Purim. But I'm choosing to dedicate this entire show to the memory of an outstanding woman, Esther Pollard, who passed away on Monday. Esther's life is a story of the ultimate sacrifice of a woman who sacrificed her life for a man who is a much larger person, a much larger symbol than just one man. In this Torah portion, we're told, we're taught, that when you give something, you really get something back in return. The Hebrew word to give, venatnu, and they will give, is read the same way forwards and backwards. And that signifies that when you give something, you really get something back in return. Esther's sacrifice was the ultimate when she did not respect anything in return, when she married a man on a life sentence, never knowing if he would ever be released, if they would ever be able to spend time together. And that ultimate sacrifice has turned her into a national hero here in Israel. Where the Knesset hearings were postponed to allow Knesset members to attend her funeral, and where people have been streaming through the house of Jonathan Pollard to pay to pay the last respects. So I would like on this show to read a letter that Esther Pollard sent to Jonathan for his birthday in 2010, 12 years ago. And it really encapsulates her life philosophy and what gave this woman such incredible power and such a wonderful and powerful lesson for every single one of us. So please stay tuned right after the break the emotional letter that Esther Pollard wrote to Jonathan. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back, and we're back on this show that is all a loving tribute to the memory of Esther Pollard. 
So before I read this beautiful, loving, um, insightful letter that Esther wrote 10 years ago to her husband, I would just like to give you a brief background about who Jonathan and Esther Pollard are for people who are not familiar. Jonathan Pollard was an intelligence officer serving in the United States government, and he came across very sensitive security information that pertained to the security of the state of Israel and was supposed to be shared by the United States government and military with Israel, but was withheld from Israel. This sensitive information was extremely important for the security of Israel and its citizens. So Pollard went ahead and shared this information with Israel and became an Israeli spy. He was caught and sentenced to life sentence, the only spy in the history of the United States to have received a life sentence for spying for an LA country. Um, after numerous, numerous, numerous efforts to free him that mostly went um, unfruitful, in 2015 he was paroled and spent five years living in New York and just a year ago on December 30th, 2020, he was able to immigrate to Israel together with his wife. So after decades of marriage, when Esther and Pollard were kept apart, they spent five years together in New York and then one last year together in Israel, fulfilling ultimately their lifelong dream. So to understand what makes a woman marry a man who is facing a life sentence with very unpredictable prospects of ever being together. I would like to read this letter that Esther Pollard sent her husband for his birthday in 2010. And um, I think it really reflects the attitude, the philosophy, and the relationship between these two people that was so special and it is such a lesson for all of us. Jerusalem, August 1st, 2010. My beloved Jonathan, I don't really know how to write this letter. I want so badly to help you. I need to make you understand things that I barely understand. What I do know is that we have spent a very, very long time trying to attack a problem logically when the problem is totally resistant to logic. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to be depressed. You have every right to hate. And I certainly to not have any right to tell you otherwise, or to try to mitigate your anger or your hate. Maybe they are necessary. Maybe they are part of the divine plan. I'm angry too, though I try not to dwell on my anger. I'm frustrated and tired and worn out, and like you, have not been feeling well for so long that I really do not remember when I felt last felt well. Everything is a question of degree. If I get this letter done tonight, it looks like it will arrive for your secular birthday, if you're not yet home by then. So as my gift to you, why don't I just try to speak what is in my heart without varnish or sugarcoating? If I did not believe in God, if I did not believe that we're souls having a human experience, as opposed to our being humans having a spiritual experience, if I did not believe in Gilgoha Nishamot, the incarnation of souls. If I did, I did not believe in Jewish history or the Jewish prophecies, if I did not believe in the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people and the coming of Mashiach, the Messiah, if I did, I did not believe in any of these, 
then I also would not believe in the concept of soulmates. Without belief in the concept of soulmates and the clear understanding that I was born to be your helpmate, your Ezra Kenigdo, your opposite half in this lifetime, then it could be said that it was my choice to marry you and my choice to take on a lifetime of travail and suffering instead of choosing an easier path by choosing another mate. Often, I think about how my life looks through the eyes of someone who does not believe in God, in Jewish destiny, or in soulmates. I know people like that. Ones I've spoken with tell me that they think I'm pretty foolish to have made such poor choices and to have ended up in this not-married, not-single status of perpetual longing and endless suffering, coupled with endless hard work, rolling the boulder uphill only to have it roll down again and then to start all over again. I have been told by well-meaning meddlers on numerous occasions that I have or had so many talents and merits. Why did I have to get involved with someone in prison? Better yet, with someone with a life sentence. People who have no concept of eternity or of God's absolute rule of the world cannot fathom that I did not have a choice, that the only reason I was born into this life was to accompany you on your tragic, majestic journey from darkness, lots and lots of darkness, to light. Oh, when, oh, when will it appear? But appear it must. People who have no concept of eternal life have no way to grasp that you volunteered for this mission long ago in the world of souls, and I volunteered to go with you. The sorrow, the frustration, the suffering, the anguish, the depression, the despair, and the anger are actually fleeting in terms of eternity. But in terms of a human lifetime, they have been overwhelming, relentless, and unending. No one in their right human mind would knowingly volunteer to take on any lifetime that is this difficult. But as souls would did, that is, you did, and I could not let you go it alone. So I did as well, but only to follow you. As you so aptly put it, not so long ago, we're both partly in prison and are both partly free. That is how bound up in each other we are. Having said that, there's some differences in our perspectives. Apparently, those differences are what allows each one of us to survive our respective Gehenna's health. I don't understand and never did understand your ability and your will to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. I'm not built this way. I give up. I don't give up in despair or in defeat. I just pull back and hand it back to God. That makes you angry. You don't like when I say that, okay, so for the last 10 years that I've been feeling that way, you and others kept pulling me back into the fight, into yet another initiative and another initiative and another attempt to prove things forward, in another interview, or another TV show, and another essay, and another Bagat's Supreme Court case, and another lawsuit, and another petition, and another this, and another that. Doing all these useless things has brought collateral results, but no progress on the main issue at hand. Each initiative has built us into better, stronger, more sensitive, believing Jews with a much closer connection to the Almighty. 
Each initiative has created more public awareness. Each initiative has brought more people to pray, to participate, to engage, and to yearn their share in eternity by attaching to this mitzvah. Each initiative has had its effect in heaven, and someday, after 120 years, we will, Be'ezrat Hashem, understand how all these things contributed in a major way to bringing the final redemption to the Jewish people and to the land. For now, we do not have that glimpse beyond the veil. For the moment, all we have is the sure knowledge that we're not in control, that this case is a cosmic quagmire that is impervious to human efforts. It is so resistant to all of the human remedies that have been attempted over the last two and a half decades that that is in itself is miraculous. By that I mean clearly supernatural. Any purely objective, non-cosmic look at the situation is mind-boggling. How is that? We have gone through endless campaigns, letters, petitions, lawsuits, demos, lobbying, etc., etc., for 25 years. And in those 25 years, we have not moved forward one single centimeter, or one inch, if you prefer. On the contrary, we have watched those who sought your demise from the outset become more entrenched in their murderous positions. We have watched those who are indifferent become more indifferent. We have watched those who are wantonly irresponsible and cruel redouble their brazen irresponsibility and their calculated cruelty. In summary, even you, my love, must admit that what we have seen over the last 25 years is truly biblical in proportion and not natural. And that is the fact that even you, even in the hellish pit of snakes and scorpions, where you make your bed, even you must admit, this case is not following the natural course of events. It is a lightning rod for those whose entire reason d'etre is the uprooting of the rule of heaven. This case is the sin qua non of those who arrange to rule in place of God. Or more aptly put, this case is the exclusive property on both sides of the pond of those who are convinced that they ruled the world. So what do you ask? So we have to draw appropriate conclusions. I admit I do not really fully understand your insistence that through your scientific initiatives you can bias for self-freedom. You know that is not true. Yes, I would make it better for you if you could be busy and immersed in your projects, and if you could have the consultations you need. But it won't change the situation, and it won't bring you home. Right after the break, we will continue with this very powerful, emotional, faith-leaden letter that Esther Pollard wrote to her husband Jonathan in 2010 as both of them were trying to pull themselves from the brink of despair. Stay tuned and right after these messages we will find out what Esther thought would bring Jonathan home.
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. So we're reading a letter that Esther Pollard wrote to her husband, Jonathan, in 2010, when he was still in prison, as a tribute to her after she passed away on Monday. So we're picking up where we left off. Home is in God's hands. He has shown us that over and over and over and over again for the last 25 years, in some of the most unlikely ways. He has forced us to see that we're in control of nothing, that this case is bigger than us and bigger than the fools who think they are sitting on it, bigger than the liars and the slanderers, bigger than the so-called leaders and rulers. This case is its own Tower of Babel, and we all know who ultimately won that round. When I'm wearing my human being glasses, I look in the mirror and I hate what I see. I hate seeing that so many years have left their mark. So many years and we're still nowhere, still not together. No home, no children, no grandchildren, no life. After all these years, I look and I feel old and worn out and sad and defeated. And I shout at no one in particular. Just leave me alone. I can't stand it anymore. Just leave me alone. And then I think frantically, what to do? What to do? Oh, there really isn't anything to do, or nothing we have not already done many times before. And there isn't anyone to ask. And our five-minute phone calls don't lend themselves to real discussion. And the frustration and anguish just grow and grow and grow. And I think I want to quit. But there really isn't even any way of quitting. So I agonized over the only choice that it seems like I have, the choice to stay here and wait for you, or the choice to return to the States. And they're both difficult and unhappy choices at the moment. When I'm wearing my cosmic glasses, and it is so hard to keep those darn cosmic glasses on, I'm able to compartmentalize the agony, the anguish, the aging, the frustration, the despair, and a whole host of very human, very reasonable, very normal emotions. Years ago, you had me read a book, Shoah, by Rav Yoel Schwartz and Rav Goldstein on the Holocaust. And the one thing I learned from that book is how to understand the biblical warning that if we are in violation of our commitment to Torah and God's rule, your enemies will rejoice over you. Logically, 
The concept makes no sense. What does it mean for an enemy to rejoice over you? Enemies can triumph over you, they can pursue you, destroy you, damage you, and so on. But what does it mean that they rejoice over you? The answer is, it is considered rejoicing over you. When your enemies pursue you and torment you beyond all proportion, even to their own detriment. Just when your enemies insist on harming you to the maximum extent that they possibly can. Even when they derive no benefit whatsoever by doing so. The authors explain that our sages teach that when the enemy rejoices over us, pursuing us beyond logic and beyond benefit, it is a clear sign that there is a heavenly process involved, that what is occurring is cosmic, a divine plan, something we have no control over, neither do our enemies, ultimately. Please stop making, facing, and dismissing what I'm writing by saying, I know all this, I never doubted any of this, so why are you telling me this now? I'm telling you this in the hopes of convincing you to give yourself a break. I want you to understand that there is no logical, earthly reason for the way that our enemies have been rejoicing over us for the last 25 years. So many times in ways they could have benefited by cutting us on slack, both here and in the U.S., and at many different levels, but the hatred, the intransigence, their cruelty just overwhelms them. They cannot help themselves. They hate us beyond any possible benefit to themselves. They hate us as they hate God. They will never be won over by any logical means because the hatred is not logical. You told me tonight that you have no hope. You say that because you are unable to get anyone to help you, you are unable to get anything done, and you have lost all hope of getting out. You say all you have is your anger and your hatred. You say that you have set a date in your mind by which you want me to come back to the USA. Perhaps move to a new prison, a more humane prison environment, you say, may be available further north. There, at least you, as you put it, we can be together. I hope that when you see this written as it is in the paragraph above, you will see for yourself how erroneous this thinking is. It is not your inability to command or control others that deprives you of hope of relief. You know that isn't so. And it is not your energy projects that will turn the key in the lock. Because if it were anything logical like that, then any other number of logical things that have already been tried would not have met with such supernatural failure. Our anguish at being separated is indescribable. Our yearning to be together, to have a life, to live together, to build together, has been compared, and accurately so, to the yearning of the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, to be reunited with the Jewish people. The agony of the passage of time is unbearable. I do not even one second want to minimize the daily grind, the crushing weight of each day that passes without anything ostensibly changing, or the sheer disappointment, the misery of the years that have turned into decades of unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Nor am I willing to discount for even a second the physical suffering that the circumstances have visited on both of us. An entire book could be written and still not explain 
how you have managed to survive the physical threats to your person for 25 years, day in, day out, suffering and pain with no relief for years on end, lurching from one medical emergency to the next with no respite. As for me, as I indicated above, it has been so long since I have felt well that I no longer remember what feeling well feels like. I'm just glad when there's no pain, when I can actually wear clothes, because so much of the time I can't stand the feel of anything, and certainly nothing that binds or even touches me like elastic. In summary, I am in no way minimizing your pain and suffering or mine on a daily basis for the last two decades and more. What I'm trying to do is to manage the pain and to make sense of it by wearing my cosmic glasses, those darn cosmic glasses that keep slipping down off my nose. It is precisely because things are so bad and have been for so long that this has to end. Cosmic dramas always end when least expected. And they end, as the Rav, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu predicted, suddenly and swiftly, and in a way that no one anticipates. It is precisely when all the earthly doors have closed that the heavenly doors open. It is precisely when we throw our hands up and say, I have done all I can, Hashem, God, now it's all up to you that the answer comes. This is not wishful thinking. You are not a private person. This case is not just about you. Your suffering is not just about you. Your anguish and your misery is not just about you, nor is it about me. You are the personification of a living, breathing, ongoing, vital chapter in Jewish history. You are a cosmic key to the redemption of the Jewish people. You are like it or lump it, the one. Your survival causes all of us to survive. Your wholeness intellectually and spiritually saves us daily as a people. Your physical and emotional suffering reflects the disintegration of the state and its Erev-Rav elite, the way it is coming apart at the seams, and your suffering is atoning for the people. Because it is all cosmic, it can and will end any second that Hashem chooses. It can and will end, as a Kiddush Hashem, the certification of God's name, not because of any earthly logical reason. In fact, it will end in spite of all earthly logical reasons. Your release is synonymous with the release of the Shekhinah, of Divine Presence, from Galud. Your release is tied up with the Mashiach ben David's return to the land. Your release is bound to the redemption of the land and people of Israel. You do not need me to enunciate all the Mikubal and Kabbalists who have agreed with the Rav's decree on this matter. You can see it and feel it for yourself. So many people see it and feel it and they write to you. And you know in your heart that what they write is true. As wretched as you feel for the moment, you know who you are. And you know that you have a bright, long, good, important, and critical Jewish future ahead of you. You know that your release is critical to the continuation of Jewish history, according to the prophecies, according to the Torah of Moshe, and the wisdom of our sages. The Gematriot uphold this, the terrible, terrible times which we're living through, were also predicted with the same impeccable divine accuracy.
there's all just a question of time. And because it is cosmic time we're talking about, every minute brings new hope. Yeshuat Hashem Kehalef Ein, salvation from Hashem, occurs in the wink of an eye. When we come back, we're going to finish this amazing letter that Esther Pollard wrote to her husband that is such a source of inspiration and faith as a tribute to her in this week of mourning after she passed. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. back with a letter from Esther Pollard to her husband Jonathan that we're reading today as a tribute to this amazing woman in her own words. And so, my beloved sweetheart, love of my life, dear soulmate, Yonatan ben Malka Halevi, for all these reasons and more, I continue to await your arrival every single minute of every single day here in the land. I don't know where the Medina is heading, the state. I know it isn't going our way, but I'm here in the land, which is eternally ours and eternally strong, waiting for you. In spite of the pain, the waiting, the anguish, I know in my heart that you, along with the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, and Mashiach ben David, will soon return home to our joy and to the relief of those who live Hashem's Torah in His land. What we have lost will be returned. What was broken will be fixed. What was impaired will be restored. What was diminished will be increased. And we will have the love and the life we have so desired together here in the land, God willing, in the wink of an eye and soon. So forgive me, my love, for not sharing your momentary vision of a hopeless future back in Galut, sitting in a prison visit room, staring into each other's eyes and seeing nothing there but the pain and the longing and the feeling nothing but despair and anguish. I know that you do not believe in this vision either. You are tired, not well, worn out, disappointed. So for the moment you let Sitra Akhra, the side of the evil, have a little free ring. And this is the horrible vision it proposes. We both know that this vision is Sheker. It's false. And we're both rejected. Holy, beloved, sweet, righteous, Gibor Israel, hero of Israel, let me end with this. In one of your recent conversations, I told you, my beloved husband, Jonathan, do you realize that Rabbi Mordechai never called me the Esther Malka, Queen Esther of our generation? That's true, you agreed. And did you ever stop to think why he never called me the Esther Malka of our generation? Tell me why you think so, you replied. Because as you always point out, Jonathan, the Rav only spoke truth. 
Rabbi Eliel never flattered anyone, never pandered to anyone, never softened the truth to please anyone. He would never have said that I am the Esther Malk of our generation, because I'm not. And so, you replied, my point is that if the Rav repeatedly said that you are the Yosef Atzadik, Joseph of our generation, it was not intended as a compliment, not a balm for your tired soul. It was meant as a statement of truth, as a fact. It was meant for you to understand the degree to which you are participating in Jewish history. It was meant for others to understand how critical your redemption is to the redemption of the Jewish people as a whole. Those who ignore it, ignore at their own peril. Jonathan, my love, you did not respond. You have too much humility for that, but I know you, my dear husband. I know you well enough to know that you understand that this is so, that Rabbi Yau's words were a statement of fact, and that the long, drawn-out, incredibly inhuman trial that you are living through, and the endless afflictions you are suffering, count a whole more, lot more than any of us really understand. For the moment, we all we need to know, all we need to understand, is that this is a divine plan, the most sublime, most difficult divine plan that is destined to culminate in the redemption of a lot more than just Jonathan and Esther Pollard. Because it is divine, because it is Jewish history, and because Jewish history is teleological, it must end, and end well. We simply have no choice but to hang on. To hang on with one hand stretched out to the Almighty, and the other hand clutching tenaciously to our cosmic glasses. We're going to make it. This will end as suddenly, as surprisingly as it began. Most important of all, it will end as an enormous Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. Amen. I'm waiting here for you. You are the love of my life, my soulmate, my reason for living, breathing, laughing, crying, my everything. God watch over you and bless you and speed you home to my loving arms. Together we will serve Hashem, God, here in the land. And we can start, Bezrat Hashem, by celebrating your birthday and meeting a Sudat Hodaya, a feast of gratitude to Hashem. Amen. Happy birthday, sweetheart. God speed you home, alive, well, and in mighty spirits, and soon. Amen. With much love, now and always, your own, Esther Yochavid. Wow, what a letter. How much faith, how much strength, how much tenacity, how much wisdom in so many lines. Esther Pollard said that she was not Esther Malka of her generation, but actually I think she was. In the story of Purim that we're going to celebrate in a month and a half during the month of Adar, Esther Hamalka gave up her life, gave up her family, gave up everything to save the Jewish people. And Esther Pollard has also done the same. She has given up herself, her life, her happiness, her ability to have a happy marriage with somebody who lives next to her for a prospect of being married to a man on life sentence without ever knowing fully if he would be released. And I think it is so appropriate that Esther Pollard passed away 
just before the day before the start of the month of Adar, when we are going into this 60-day period of happiness, because she gave up her life for our redemption and happiness, for the redemption of happiness of Jonathan Pollard, which she understood to signify as a big stepping stone to the redemption of happiness of the Jewish people. I go to pray in the Karel tunnels very frequently. And during the years that Jonathan was in prison, Esther would come to the Kotel tunnels every single day and pray there for hours, for hours upon hours upon hours, standing on her feet. I never wanted to bother her, but just watching her prayer was a very powerful emotional experience. She was inspirational without having to say a word. Such a special individual that truly had the power to dedicate her life, her everything, to one cause. So on this Torah portion of Truma, when we are asked to dedicate our abilities and resources and money to the building of the tabernacle, which is a microcosm of the world, the question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves is, what am I willing to dedicate? What am I willing to give? What am I living to contribute? Because what I contribute is directly proportional to what I get back. But not because I'm going to get back, but because I really need to put on those cosmic glasses and understand that I'm here to play a part. What is this part that I'm going to play? And there's one sentence in this letter that really grabbed me and stayed with me. And that's why Esther says, we are souls coming here to have a human experience not human beings having a spiritual experience. It's really a question of how we define ourselves. Do we see ourselves as souls, as rays of God projected into the world for a purpose on a mission that we're here to complete? And that mission could be very difficult and could require a lot of courage and could bring a lot of anguish and travail and fights and struggles. But we are on a mission to accomplish something that God needs for us to bring this world to redemption. Or are we mere humans that here and there have a glimpse of spiritual experiences? This is a choice that we make every single day, every single moment. Who are we? And for Esther, it was clear that she was a ray of divine light, a ray of godliness that was here to play a part to accompany another read of godliness, Jonathan Pollard, on his very tragic, but as she said, majestic journey to ensure the redemption of the Jewish people, to play the central part for the redemption of the Jewish people. I hope that each and every one of us can take Esther's words with us back to our own life, because every single one of us has tragedies, difficulties, struggles, pains. All of us get frustrated and overwhelmed. All of us try to accomplish something in life. And no matter how much we try, it doesn't work. And so many of us are ready to give up. And just like Esther said, those things that we try to solve over and over and over and over again through human actions, through logical projects, through undertakings and initiatives, and they never work out. 
those things are precisely our life missions, the things that we're supposed to create in the world that will take a lot of struggle. It is supernatural that this thing doesn't get done. And it's precisely that understanding and giving it back to God and realizing that this is God's work and letting God handle it because it is supernatural. This is the way to solve our biggest life problems. The Jewish people, when they came out of Egypt, stood at the edge of the Red Sea. And God said, I'm going to fight your fight, but you need to stay quiet. It is exactly this power of understanding when to set aside the logical projects and initiatives and efforts and have the courage to be quiet and hand it over to the fight of God, to the hand of God. That is the stroke of brilliance in Esther's letter. And I pray that each one of us can take this brilliance into our life. Have a great and happy letter. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.